Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. So, praise God, amen. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Amos. Just before the book of Obadiah, if that's helpful to anybody, <laughs> it's in your Old Testament. Go back to the very start of your Old Testament, work back just a few short books, and you get to the book of Amos. And uh, very interesting, uh, a, a very interesting prophet. Amos is one of those prophets that he's a southern boy. What I mean by that is that he's not from the north uh, uh, to Israel where he's ministering to. He's, he's prophesying into the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, you know the story. If you can recall the story, Israel went through, well, it averted a civil war effectively, but split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 10 tribes. It was larger. Southern kingdom is where Jerusalem was, you know, and they, they were there. They were more, the southern kingdom was much more of a faithful kingdom, yet eventually it came to the very same temptations as the northern kingdom, which was really to, to uh, dilute the worship of God and to paganize it in some level and to forsake the Lord and to go after basically materialism and commerce. That was the sin of the north. Uh, so Amos is from the south, and he's a man, if you read about his testimony, he, he says, I'm not a, a pedigree prophet. He's not from the school of the prophets. Uh, he didn't regard himself as a prophet, or a, 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 you could say a card-carrying prophet. Uh, there's an awful lot of them walking around today, apostle this and prophet that, you know. And um, some of them are, uh, as Paul says, some of you say you're apostles who are no apostles at all, and the rest of you are non-profit organizations. I just can tell you that right now. But he was one of those non-carrying prophet cards. He just had a word of the Lord, and he was bringing it to the northern kingdom. At a time when, after they had, they had broken away from the south, as I say, the civil war was averted. Um, you know, Jeroboam II, now Jeroboam I, was the guy that basically introduced the split into the kingdom. And his son II, Jeroboam II, is in control. He's the king of the north. And they went through an exceeding, uh, uh, you could say, a soaring economy. The, the northern kingdom, they, they, they seem to kind of just, their artisans and their technology developed a little bit quicker than the south. And they conquered Moab, they conquered Ammon, they conquered uh, somewhere else, Moab, Ammon, and I can't remember, three, Syria. They had basically extended their kingdom into a large landmass. They did that through technology, uh, you know, their, their, their industry grew faster. And as a result, in the northern kingdom, they went into unparalleled growth economically. You know, they was, you know, I wonder, let me just read to you. Uh, in chapter 6, I'll read you a second, but give you a little bit of background first. Anyway. So it went into unparalleled growth. Um, they were very prosperous. Um, Jeroboam was very clever. He, he didn't want a reunited kingdom because all, he's the king now. Why would he want a reunited kingdom and abdicate his throne and have the center of authority back in Jerusalem again? So he understood that the Jews were deeply devout, even though they were deeply carnal and, and always prone to straying away like sheep, as they have and done and done in the past. But there was always that tug at the heart of the Jew to go back to the worship of Yahweh. And so he set up different centers of worship in Gilgal and Bathsheba. And, and uh, 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 yeah, Gilgal and Bathsheba and, and Bethel were the three centers where he set up worship, basically bordering Israel for the most part. So that it would desist the northern believers to go to Jerusalem, where their hearts would go every year, once a year, to go to the temple. They, they, he set up a different form of worship. He, he elected a new priesthood. He set up a form of worship of the calves. Now, the calves was 
basically the, the golden calves, the two calves were set up, but they just replaced, the, the, the thinking was is that they believed that the calves replaced the cherubim and the, the true God, Yahweh, set above it. So there was this mixture, this cultic mixture of taking paganism, pagan effigies and, and worship and practices and, and beginning to, to infiltrate and infuse the worship of God. So that really what, what he did, he was clever. He wasn't a believer, he was a politician. Politicians have always got their hands into the Christian testimony. Constantine did it way back in the third century. You know, they got their hands on and manipulated the gospel for their selfish means. The prosperity preachers do it for today. You know, these who, who spawn off these doctrines that are not of God, you know, they do it for selfish gain and to keep people worshipping it better than Gilgal and, and worshipping the created things and looking for prosperity all the time instead of missing the reality of what the gospel is truly about. You know, a lot of Christians have gotten their eyes off what the gospel is actually about. They think it's about you know, the sum of what a man's life consists of. And Jesus said a man's life does not consist of the abundance of which he has. But somehow a new form of Christianity has emerged in the last 50 or 60 years through America, through the faith preachers that have made it all about your wealth and your health and your prosperity. And that is exactly what Jeroboam II did. That's exactly what he did. He kept enough truth there mixed a lot of a bit of pagan mentality materialism and said you don't need to go to jerusalem you can just stop at bethel bethel was the most suddenly part of his kingdom before you crossed over into jerusalem and he made it very very fancy he he you know he he had to, to, to capture the imaginations and the minds of people he employed the best of the technology I mean, why do you want to make another 30, 40 mile journey when you can just stay here? It's very glitzy. You know, and, and there was enough of God and there was enough of the stories and they had another priesthood and they did things very similarly. But it was nothing other than to appease the flesh of the people. And so the people had this. It wasn't that they were worshippers of a false God. They were false worshippers of the true God. That should be a word for us today, friends. They were false worshippers of the true God. Where most of Christendom has fallen at times, friends, in true history. And, you know, it's cyclical. It's always the same. Generations come and generations go, but it's always the same vices. It's always the same up and down sine wave. If you study your church history, it's always the same. We are no better than previous generations. We may have iPads. <laughs> we may have technologies, friends. But morally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in our, our appetites, we are no different than any other generation. And to not read your Bible or not to read history and understand the vices that they felt and succumbed to are possible for us. And so that's why we need to stay informed. We need to understand how, how wayward or natural human nature, our fallen nature is. Because, my friends, I want to tell you, it's irredeemable. That nature has to die. You, you can't, that's why a new nature came to the power of the Holy Spirit when you became born again. The nature of the Holy Spirit came in to indwell you. And the Apostle Paul says, now you reckon the other one dead. Do you understand? You reckon him dead. There'll be a coming time when he's totally dead, but you reckon him dead in the light of a new one. And so you begin to live the life of another as a Christian. And Jeroboam had, had very cleverly introduced this, this, this false worship of the, of the true God. And, you know, it, it had immediate consequences in the sense that, you know, people didn't have to make the long journey down to Jerusalem. They became a little bit apathy set into their actual love and desire for God. They had this convenient, I'm going to use the word Christianity, even though this is thousands, a thousand years before Christianity. Um, but you'll know what I'm saying. They had this convenient approach to God. You know, and, and we need to be very careful. 
that we don't, we don't settle for a Bethel-type worship in every sense of the word. Amen. We, we, we have to be very careful that our, 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 our expression and our love for God doesn't fall foul to what it did way back in, in the 7th century, 8th century BC, you know, when Amos was speaking to a people that had massive revelation of God. Remember that they had a testimony that many of us didn't have in the sense that physically they saw the hand of God move in unparalleled ways, friends. The most incredible deliverances, they had a testimony head and shoulders above every nation around them. Divine interventions at times and visitations of God that no man could deny that, that became famous throughout the entire world at that time. The Jewish people were famous as the worshippers of one true God and such something very special was happening in Jerusalem and out of Jerusalem. The fame spread throughout the world, friends. Even to people like Nebuchadnezzar, they eventually even, it, it even got into the inside of huge empires and, and because God was faithful and God was true to his word. And so we have to be very careful that in our own journeys as Christians that we don't become familiar with the holy things of God. That we don't become casual. The apostle, uh, the writer in the Hebrew says, you know, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now the word neglect in, in, in the Greek there, it means to not pay attention to, to, to not give heed to. If, if you think this morning, and I think this morning, that we can just meander through this lazy river of life and not pay attention to the vices of our own flesh and the ease that happens in our hearts so easy, friends, then we are denying the reality that we are no better than our previous forefathers. They fell by the wayside, and thank God to the mercy and grace and faithfulness of God, they were brought back in time after time, but oh, so much sorrow in between those moments. Oh, so much grief. Oh, so many widows were made, so many offerings were made that didn't need to happen. Israel had fallen under the wheel of the chariots of our enemies so often. Let me read to you, this is Amos chapter 6. This is, this is a prophetic word to this people, but this, you must remember, when you read your Bible, you contextualize to the time to get an understanding of what it's saying to the people of the time. You contextualize human activity and behaviors, which is universal. And you can see a meaning for them, but it's a living word. It also means something for us today. It's God-breathed. The Bible says all Scripture is God-breathed and given by divine inspiration and is profitable for correction, for reproof, uh, and for doctrine that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good deed. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to us. Chapter 6 of Amos, verse 1. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria. Notable persons in the chief nations to whom the house of Israel comes go over to Kamna and see and from there go to Hamath the great then go to Gath of the Philistines are you better than these kingdoms or is the territory greater than your territory woe to you who put far off the day of doom who caused the seed of violence to come near who lies on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourself musical instruments like David, who drink wine by the bowls and anoint yourselves with the best of ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore, they shall, go down to, they shall now go captive as the first of the captives, and those who recline on banquets shall be removed. The Lord God has sworn by himself 
The Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his places. Therefore, I will deliver him up and all that is in this city. And so this was an unparalleled prosperity in the natural People would scratch their head and say, listen, we're doing fantastic. Look at the economy soaring. The bank balances are high. We've never had so much technological and materialistic breakthrough. The borders have been extended. But you know what had happened? They started to oppress the poor. They, the, 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 the wealth gap began to grow, friends. The, wealth, the, wealth, the, the wealthy became wealthier and the poor became poorer. And then the poor became enslaved and they were used by the wealthy for usury, for, you know, for lending out loans of money and getting massive amount of interest back. And, and so there was this oppression. And it's amazing when you become wealthy, friends, you have to be very careful with wealth. You know, I, I mean, I watched before being wealthy than poor. And that's the truth of it. But I would say you have to be very careful in your pursuit of wealth, friends. Many of you here this morning, you have to be very careful in your pursuit of career. If it takes you out of the purposes of God and out of the worship of God, if it gets you to have a convenient Christianity where you just lie in your couch at home looking through the screen because, hey, everybody's doing it. I want to tell you, you're, 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 you're falling under the wheel of history here. You're falling into a false sense of ease. And this is what he says, Woe to you at ease in Zion. You may be prospering financially. You may be looking good on the outside. But there's a sense of ease where your priorities have become strayed from what God would have for you. You know, your prosperity is at what cost? How many children are you prepared to lose to this world because your faith has dimmed? How valuable is your marriage use because now that you have no time for your wife or your husband because you're working every day that God gives you, including the Lord's Day? And you settle for an easy Christianity. You set yourself for an easy interaction with God. And friends... If there was no calamity to the end of that, then I wouldn't minister this word to you this morning, but there is a calamity at the end of that. These people became so self-consumed with materialism, worrying about their own backyard all the time. You know, Solomon said, the eye has never enough of seeing, the ear never has its fill. You know, there's a, there's a part of us, friends, that you, the more we get, the more we want. And, and, and to, to the rejection of the greater qualities and the greater things in life. And this is what was happening fastly to the northern kingdom. But you know what? Ham said something this morning. It was so beautiful during the worship. He said, if Jesus was physically here and you could see him, you'd see him seeking to save that which is lost. Walking through the aisles. So this message of Amos is not written with some sort of big stick in hand. You know, like some of these hate preachers. I'm not trying to preach hate to anyone. I'm not trying to bring condemnation to anybody, but there is in Amos and through his pleading, there is a pleading to the people. It's the heart of God, friends. Come and let us reason together, says the Lord. Do you not see where this is taking you? Do you not see how this <coughs> lazy worship, this lazy Christianity, how it's keeping you from Jerusalem, from my temple, from where my presence will be felt and known to you? And so this is the heart and, and, and the God has always done this, friends. So every time we go astray, He always sends a preacher. He always sends a prophet. He always sends a message right into our life to the point of need because He loves you. He loves me. He's concerned for our families. He's concerned for your well-being more than what you are. It might be hard for you to believe that at times, but it's the truth. The one person who is the most invested in you is Him for He gave His only begotten Son for you. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And this is the whole narrative of your Bible. And so Amos is, is telling, woe, woe to you who are ease in Zion. You know, they were, they were so prosperous, they were lying on beds of ivory. 
I remember when we got married years ago, you know, it, was, it was a real treat to kind of get a night away somewhere. Do you remember those days when it was a real treat to get a, a dinner out? Some of you remember, some of you don't even care because you could just open your wallet and out you go. But there was a time where you tried to get a weekend away somewhere and you were saving your, your green shield stamps. Or your, but I remember it was a place we wanted to go. There was four-poster bed. Oh, we, we wanted to go to a fancy hotel with a four-poster four bed. And I remember, I remember going there and it was just like four lots, kind of like nearly, you know, it was, it was the most uncomfortable bed I was ever in. You know, they boasted of a four-poster bed. But I want to tell you, these guys had four-poster beds made out of ivory. They were wealthy. They had their music. They became lazy with music. Melancholic. All about the sing song. Strumming old guitars. I'm not against strumming the guitar. I'm a busker. I love music. But that's all life came to them. Drinking. Wine by the bowlful. Wearing the best of ointments. I won't say which said son of mine paid a hundred euros for a spray. Okay. For himself. So you can guess. There's four of them. So you got to, what, what sort of percentage is that? 25% chance of being right. 100 euros to spend on the spray. You know, anointing themselves with the finest of ointments. Beds of ivory, singing, wine, reclining. The good times are here. There were men and women, let me tell you, that overestimated their strengths and underestimated their weakness. And there's many here this morning, you're not calculating correctly the eternal values of God for your life. And as a result, friends, there's enemies that are looming at your borders. There's clouds that are gathering around your family, your children, your home, and your own mental and spiritual well-being. And God was sending this message to them, woe to you, woe to you who are at ease. You know, there can be such an apathy that sets into the Christian. The, little, the Bible talks about a little laziness, a little bit of folding of the arms. A little bit at ease. And that's how it starts for us, friends. We must remember as Christians, and I'm talking to Christians this morning, wherever you are, to broadcast or here in the house. When you were saved and when I was saved, we were brought into an army. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. You were brought into the army of God. You were into competing in the great contest. You compete by the rules. You understand rank and order. That you no longer belong to yourself, you belong to someone else. I think that's a great story for you and me because I was once in darkness, I was once in slavery. I was enslaved to darkness and enslaved to sin and my master was very desperate over me. Very wicked, very evil. But thanks be to God I became a slave to righteousness when my ear was, poor, was pierced by the Holy Ghost. My heart was pierced by the Holy Ghost and I was brought into the kingdom of God. Can you say amen because that's who you are today, amen? But the Bible says a lack of knowledge. Many of my people are perishing. And there was this ease that came into the northern kingdom. And they looked at their prosperity. And they looked at what they had and the extension of their borders. But there was a compromise in their worship. There was a compromise in their lifestyle. And I want to tell you, when your doctrine doesn't match up with your lifestyle, if your doctrine is pure and it doesn't line up with your lifestyle, let me tell you, there's a disconnect. It's all up here in your head. And it hasn't augmented into your life, into your feet. And yet that's not the will of God for you. The northern kingdom, this was around 760 years before Christ. This pro prophet is preaching to them. Speaking the, the word of God to them less than 20 years later, friends. The, the, the Neo-Assyrian Empire rises up. 
And according to the word of the Lord, of course, came and annexed the entire ten tribes of the north of Israel. Came in and conquered them, decimated their economy. There was massive refugees. They also planted in other peoples in to dilute any sense of nationhood again, to dilute the religion. That's how the Samaritans were birthed, right, at that period of history. A hybrid worship, a worship that wasn't pure, a distortion of the worship of God. And so they did that to break down identity. It's amazing they do the same today. They try to break down your identity, try to break down what you are. You know, try to keep everybody weak by breaking them into all different sorts, forms of groupings. And so that's what happened. The, the northern kingdom fell under the wheel of the Neo-Assyrian Empire eventually. 100 year, 110 years later, the south would do the same. It would fall under the very same chastisement as the north. Amos brought a word of the Lord to a backslidden, arrogant, wicked, yet prosperous people. They had no time for God, no time for anything but themselves. They had forgotten the Lord. They had torn to a false worship, friends. A religion that gave them license to please themselves. You know, when Moses was told by God to bring the children of Israel out and to go and declare to Pharaoh, he made a declaration to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go that they would serve me, not, not themselves. I, I need to remind us this morning that you are saved out of darkness into his marvelous light. To be his people, friends. His own special people. That your life and my life would be, would be noted in this world as being devout and, and, and completely and utterly given to God. That men and women would look at us and see something different. They would see men and women that are full of God and full of the love of God. And I tell you, friends, that is the light of the world. That is the soul that Jesus talked about. Instead of getting stuck into your music, young people, some of you are so stuck into your music. And I'm all about creativity. You see some of the finest young men and women here. We don't bridle. We let loose uh, people's like, gifting and abilities in the house of God as long as it's turned towards God. But I want to tell you, don't define yourself by your music and your friends grouping, friends. You know, become, that defines you. That should not define you. You should be defined by something far greater than how good you can at rap or how good you can play a song and construct lyrics. That's not who you are. That's not who even God wants you to be. Who you are is something far deeper than that. Amen. You can be a great rapper. You can be a great artist, a great singer. But you have to, first of all, be a great Christian. You have to build it on the right foundation. Establish yourself on the Word of God and live for Him. And let all the creativity that God give you, let it be glorifying to Him. And truly be different to this world. Amen. Some of you want to be different and you're so the same. It's so the same as everything else out there. Just a little different bit of an accent. You're a faster rapper. You're a slower rapper. You, you dress this way. You dress that way. It's as beige as you can get. But give me a man or a woman, friends, that absolutely stands on the testimony of Christ. Let me tell you, you live head and shoulders above your peers. When you speak the word of God, when you speak any words, they don't fall to the ground. They go to the heart. But eventually, the word of the Lord came through, of course. And as we saw, we saw these great, tremendous, actually horrendous times where this nation was brought to its knees. It happened the same in the south. Jeremiah prophesied about 100 years later, the south, 110 years, I think, later, the south fell to the armies of Nebuchadnezzar. 20 years after that, Nebuchadnezzar came back and absolutely, utterly destroyed Jerusalem, tore down its walls, burned its temple, 
and took all the people into captivity to Babylon. I want to tell you, friends, be not deceived. God has not mocked the Bible. says, whatever a man sows, that's that he also reap. You sow to the flesh, the Bible says, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if you should sow to the Spirit, if you should sow to the Spirit, you will receive life. You will reap life everlasting. And so there is always in the call of God an antidote for us, friends. There's always a way forward, friends. There's always a way through. I want to thank God this morning that he doesn't leave us and point out to us our weaknesses. What he does, he always points a way forward. It's not the goodness of God today. You see, I grew up under a belief that a God just was too willing to judge you, too willing to just, you know, state the obvious of your failures and then look at you as you squirmed and tried to put yourself up by the bootstraps, you know, and try to make better of your life. And, you know, I'm not even interested in, in a sort of a, a once-for-all altar this morning where I might ask you to come to an altar and then you give one last dash, but your life is unaltered when you leave her. That's not, that's false, friends. But I want to tell you, there's something in God's Word today, if you should latch onto it, will bring you life. And this, I want to go back one chapter, because God gave an antidote to this nation in Amos chapter 5. Reading from verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. Now he's speaking to them, friends. Just remember, recap in your mind. A fleshly, spiritually compromised, materialistic, forgetting the poor, oppressing the poor sensuous people who still had enough of the knowledge of God to have a level of connection to him, but yet so compromised. And yet God would grace himself to come one more time and speak to them. What does that tell you about him today? He's a merciful God. What does that tell you about him? He's long-suffering. You know, if that was you or me, if, that was a, if we were describing a relationship between friends or a relationship between communities, and that was the standing status quo of that relationship. I wonder how you or I would act to the correspondent. I'm sure it wouldn't be not near as graceful as I was trying to send an envoy of peace. But that's the heart of our God, isn't it? And so there is the Lord. Thus said the Lord to the house of Israel. This is one of the most powerful verses in the book of Amos. He says, seek me and live. Seek me and live. And in that word, seek it's, the, it's a Hebrew word which means derash in the Hebrew. It means to seek me for the purpose of worship. I want us to remember that this morning because we come in here today and I have to be reminded why I'm here because I'm so fleshly. I'm here because unto him shall the gathering of the people be. This is not an exercise of religion that you talk your card in, friends. Oh, well, I did church on a Sunday morning. That's what it's become too much of Christianity. And that's why Christianity has lent itself as weak in our communities. Because the men and women that know better are clocking in and clocking out their card and not understanding that it's unto him shall the gathering of the people be. We're coming in here this morning to worship him on the Lord's day on the coattails of what Christ has done at Calvary for us. And the word seek, friends, is to seek for the purpose of worship. As if God was saying to them, there's something far deeper when you worship me for who I am than worship me for what you can get. He says, do not seek Bethel, nor Gilgal, nor Passover, the Beersheba. And these were all very significant because these were the three centers of where they had corrupted the worship of God. Bethel has a history, of course. Jacob was there. That's where he gets that, lab, that vision into heaven. 
Gilgal is where Joshua brought the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. And Beersheba is where Abimelech made a covenant with Abraham when he saw the call and touch of God upon Abraham. Very significant to the Jews, very significant in your Bible reading. And they had venerated these places and they turned them to centers of worship and they had corrupted those worship areas. And God is saying, listen, don't go there. Don't go back to a false altar. Don't go to an altar at Cork Church this morning if it's going to be a false altar, if it's once again an altar that, that you're compromised, you're not ready to deal with what God wants you to deal with. Seek me. Not for what you can get from me, but for what? For who I am. He said, Gilgal will go into captivity. Bethel shall come to nothing, but seek me and live. So many Christians so caught up in Gilgal and Bethel and Beersheba. Bethel, the place of the supernatural. So many Christians love the supernatural. They do. The whole, you, you talk to them. And, and, and their buzz thing is to, where's the next prophecy coming from? Where's the next sign and wonder coming from? You know, that's, you know you, you'd hear it, that their whole theology is built around a, a narrative that's not the gospel. It's an aspect of the gospel, a minor aspect of the gospel. They've missed the central point. It's all about the visual. Who's got the power in their hands? Who can knock you down on the ground? Who can touch you and heal you? you know, where's the spiritual Gnostics, our apostles in our midst? Always looking for the drama. And some try to run for cover there. And I want to tell you, friends, there's no cover there. Because it's not pure. And he says, don't go to Gilgal. And Gilgal, of course, is the place of victories where Joshua brings the people into the promised land. They go to Gilgal. They have an altar there. And God comes upon them. And from there, they go to victory over Jericho. And some people, it's all about the sort of good feel factor, isn't it? Get, let, you know, preach me a message that will make me feel good about myself. Let me feel up and buoyant all the time. But don't ever deal with the issue of my heart. And then there's the Bershebas, of course. Where Abimelech saw something in the Abrahamic covenant. And he covenanted with him. He made a treaty with him. There's some, of course, they dive into their... Others, they just dive into their doctrine. They, 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 mean, they, they love doctrine more than they love God. Are you a Calvinist or an Arminius? Do you believe everything is foreseen and pre-done, what's the word, what's the word? Predestined. See, I'm looking to my young Spurgeonites over here. Is everything predestined? What about this? What about that? What about this area of Scripture versus that area of Scripture? And they dive into that. And they live there. I want to tell you, if you live there, you're going to end up just like Amos' time. If you're going to live going on after the supernatural, who's got the power? Pastor Phil and Pastor Joe and Pastor whoever. Apostle this, Apostle that. I get so many people sending me links to this Apostle and that Apostle. And this ministry and that ministry. I've seen it all before. It means nothing to me. Genuinely. Because that's not the heart of the gospel. The Bersheba. The technical, the Gilgal, the victory, the Bethel group, the supernatural. And God says, you missed it. You need to seek me. Let a man not boast in his own strength, but let him boast in this that he knows me. 
Because I want to tell you, friends, there's many people that are in Gilgal, Bethel, and Beersheba, and they're not intimate with the Lord. There's no real intimacy there. There's no real walk. Oh, yeah, they can argue with Oh, you could argue with me afterwards, Pastor. You can argue all you want, but I tell you, there's still no intimacy there. Because the man that's intimate with God has dispensed of all these silly sides because he sees something far greater. He's about the things of the kingdom. She's about the things of the king. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and ministering the love of God to others rather than discussing how many angels dance upon the head of a pin. And why we not seeing Acts chapter 2 again. So zoned in in the wrong place. And that's the north. You distill it down, friends. You distill it away from the materialism. You can distill it right into our community today, into our own churches, into our own hearts, friends. That somehow along that journey, we saw it with the Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter denied the Lord with oaths and curses three times, friends. Why? Because the Apostle Peter loved miracles. He loved walking in water. He loved the feeding of the 5,000. He loved to see things happen, lepers healed and blind. But he didn't love him and he couldn't love him because when Jesus said, you love me more than these, he knew it at that stage. That's where I missed my Christian life. I, I loved all the things about Jesus. I loved all the things of what he said and did. And that's good to love those things, but it's greater to love him. And that's why God says you need to seek me for the purposes of worshiping me rather than what you can get for yourself. You need to come back to that place of intimacy and knowing me and knowing my voice again because you can have all this stuff, friends, and the, and the clouds are growing around you and the darkness is around you and you can go back into all your philosophical arguments of Beersheba and you can go into all your sort of Gnostic thinking about praying the powers of darkness out of this guy and that guy and that person. Nothing's going to change, friends. But I tell you, when a man knows him, those who know their God would do great exploits. It's not about knowing about him. We need to have a knowledge. We need to have an education and the word absolutely. But the salvation that God was saying that you need and I need today comes first and foremost from seek him first. Seek him for the purpose of worshiping him. The Apostle Paul deals with worship because worship is not just a prayer time. It is a prayer time, but it's not just a prayer time. Worship is not just singing, but it can be singing. Worship is an entire life that's given for His glory. Even when you're exploited by others, when, even when men despitefully use you and say all manners of evil towards you for His name, great shall be your reward. Chapter 12 of Romans, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your spiritual worship. My entire life now is to be a, an expression of worship to God, devotion and dedication. Hallelujah. Unto him, for him. All things for Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. All of it is about him. My motivation must be, the, must be from the love of God, not from condemnation of a preacher, even myself. I'm here to bring any condemnation to any man. I'm here to open up the scripture. Because I know if you're staying in Beersheba, Gilgal, or any of those other places, friends, I know that you're feeling vulnerable right now. Because none of those things, you can have a great doctrinal stand in your life, and it's good to have good doctrine. I'm all about good doctrine. It's great for you to have a, a, a doorway into the supernatural. I believe every Christian has and should have through the power of the Holy Spirit who is still moving today. I still believe that we can pray for the sick. And that God has and can and will do again, heal them. 
And there's other times he doesn't. But I've learned how to put my hand over my mouth because I haven't pegged God down with my doctrine. Why? Because I've gotten to know him. All his ways are just. All his ways are good. All his ways are righteous. And so in this journey back for Israel, there was held out to them, you could start to worship me again. And don't go to those false, compromised places, friends. Come back to that intimacy. And oh, had they done it, they would have preserved the legacy that we would be looking at today. But no, they didn't, friends. And southern Israel, Judah, did exactly the same. A hundred years later, they turned away from him. And they let the material that's always been the Achilles heel, materialism, money, the pride of life, it's always been these things. I caution you, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as living sacrifices. I caution you, in the hour that we're living, and what price are you willing to pay for your prosperity? Your marriage, your children, your own peace of mind. But I encourage you to seek him. And if you haven't been, and I encourage you at home that could be making it into a church somewhere, but you've become easy. It's just sitting behind the lens, lying on your couch, maybe an ivory couch. Maybe you're doing well prospering. Maybe you've got summertime and the living is easy for you. But wintertime is coming. Difficult days are ahead, friends. And it's only those who have that intimacy with the Lord will stand in that time. Everybody else will panic. Everyone else will fall under the wheels of God, a condemnation or failure. But God will say to you and to me today, even with those storm clouds around you, I will be your security. I, the Lord your God, will go before you. I, the Lord your God, will fight for you. I, the Lord God, will preserve you. Oh, though a thousand may fall at your right and ten thousand to your left, the Lord will be your banner. The Lord will be your protector. He will be the glory and the lifter up of your head. He will surround you when the darkness comes, friends. He will light your path when everything else seems to be opaque to you and you can't see. Or bleak and you can't see. He will come to you with songs of deliverance. He will speak to you in the night and in dreams. He will reassure your heart as you're walking on the road even though you don't know how to pay your electric bill. And though you may have lost a job, and though you might be looking at calamity in your life, you've lost a loved one. Maybe your health is failing you. Maybe there's less road in front than there is behind, and it, it causes a level of depression or fear in you. I'm telling you, this is where you need to seek the Lord because heaven and earth will pass away. The old vagabond will take your shoes. Someone else one day, maybe your grabby kids will have all that you have, and you're going to be gone. Live for him. And that's what God would say to you and me. Seek me and live. Stand for me in this time. By God's goodness and by God's grace, we will see a testimony even in the darkest hours of this world. And by God's goodness, it'll be you and me seeking him, loving him, and living for him. Will you stand this morning as we're just going to talk to God on our feet. We're going to stand. We're going to engage with the Lord for a few moments. The parallels of Amos' time and our time are, are stark. I said they're stark. Incredible prosperity. And now we talk about difficult times in Ireland, friends. I want to tell you, if anyone here thinks it's difficult, you need, you need to go to a different continent and see how, what, what difficulty really looks like, what poverty really looks like. They've been enduring that for 
for centuries. You're a blessed people today. But your blessing is not your materialism. It's probably turned into a bit of a curse for you. And your pursuit of a bigger house and a bigger car and a bigger this at the expense. And I would, I would encourage you this morning to say to the Lord, you are my chief joy. And I'm raising up my hands to surrender. I'm raising up my voice of appreciation and love. And I'm coming back again to say it is all about you, Jesus. And it's not about any of these silly, incidental, temporary things. It's about knowing your grace. It's about knowing your love. It's about knowing your peace. Oh, how Israel just fobbed Amos off. And they said, I'm okay, Jack. Well, let me tell you, the Bible says even the young men will utterly faint. You won't be able to sustain it. You won't be able to sustain the life. You might be out parting. You won't be able to sustain that either. And young ladies, listen to me. There's someone prettier coming up behind you. And young men, there's someone more stronger who's going to beat you in an arm wrestle or whatever it might be coming up behind you as well. That's not who you are. You're a Christian man or woman. And you're to live for him. Seek him. And close your eyes, bow your heads with me as we just talk to the Lord in the quiet of your own heart this morning. If the Lord has been challenging you, if God has been speaking to you, if anything that's been said this morning is resonating in your heart, just respond to the Lord in your heart. Just respond to him. Say, Lord, I want to live again. The word live means to revive. It's a Hebrew word. It's very extensive. <clears throat> it, it's, it's actually a wonderful word. To revive. To strengthen. It means to make alive again. To give a promise of life. Imagine that. God says, I will give you a promise of life. You might be in your 70s. And God would say to you, if you seek me, Darash, to worship me, I'll give you a promise for more life. It means to nourish, to preserve you, to quicken, to recover, to repair, to restore, to revive, to save, to make you whole. Hallelujah. All that comes from worshiping him. All that comes from putting him number one. Jesus at the center of it all. Come on, just tell him this morning. Invite him back in. King of my life, I crown thee now. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me, God, for the foolishness. Forgive me, Lord, for resisting. Forgive me, Lord, for getting sidetracked. May God help you to order your life correctly. It's a difficult life. Some of you are already overly committed. Some of you are already in situations that you're now going to have to backtrack out of and find a way through. And if you come back to the heart of worship, God will make a way. Amen. He'll give you solutions. He'll open doors. He'll make ways for you. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.